Tweedle McTweedledee. Today, it's welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast, and I am your host, Shrek. That's my uh, absolute best Irish accent. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is, uh, is, is it's been one, I've been wanting to tap in for a while. We've got Fergus Kalaki from Freedive Island. So if you want to check him out a little bit more, go to freediveisland.com. He's also got a YouTube channel. Um, there's some cool stuff on there like diving with um, basking sharks, which are, <clears throat> you know, they can be up to like 30 feet long. And uh, we chat a little bit about that today. We get right into what spearfishing and freediving is like around Ireland. Fergus was uh, an absolute, he was an absolute character to chat to. So I really love today's episode. Before we get there, let's hook into some shout outs. And I am pretty pleased with a couple of reviews. So we had a review on iTunes from Robson91. He says, top show with top blokes. Uh, he must have been talking about Turbo more than me. But anyway, this is what I listen to every commute. I'm not with the missus. No better way to stay entertained than listening to some interesting Spiro interviews with these funny guys. Love their work. Thanks for that, Robson. That was cool, mate. Uh, awesome to get some reviews up. Um, bloody good tips, mates. From Dean MC on Audible. So you can get 99 tips to get better at spearfishing free on Audible if you sign up for a free trial. Um, if you want to get hold of that yourself, just go to newspiro.com forward slash Audible and it'll take you to a sign up page. You can get a free 30 day trial. Get our book for get our book for free. It's a good deal. But anyway, Dean MC took advantage of it. He says, whether you are new to spearfishing or have years of experience, you'll enjoy this compilation of tips from the guys. Shrek and Turbo at the New Spear Podcast have taken some of the best nuggets learned from their guests on the podcast, as well as from their own experience, and put them together into this guide. Bite-sized chunks of information that's presented in an easy-to-listen format. Help support the work these guys do. Buy a copy. You'll be sure to find some useful information that will come in handy somewhere down the line. Thanks, mate. That was a cool review. And... Um, Barry Gander bought a copy of 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing off Amazon. You can get the fully illustrated guide on there in a soft cover. So he says, great info for spearers no matter the level of an experience. It's a great uh, compilation, compilation of tips for spearers at all levels. These tips were gleaned from some of the best spearers globally. I definitely recommend the book and the audible version narrated by the authors. There's also a podcast called New Spiro, which uh, you're listening to right now, where bi-weekly shows are presented by the authors. It's a great show. It's fun, entertaining, and educational. So cheers, Barry. That was a cool review as well. So loving the reviews this week, guys. Um, you know, it all helps. It all helps people find the show. So look, yep, New Spiro podcast. If you want to catch up on some stoke, you just, just you, maybe you're not getting wet at the moment, this is definitely the place to do it. Or if you're just starting out and you want to learn some from some experienced sparrows, you're in the right place, you're going to get some actionable information. Now today, Temperate Waters of Ireland, Fergus Kalagi. Now, his name is spelled Fiargus, but it's Fergus. It's just the actual proper spelling of the name before, um, before you know, they before people named Fergus came to New Zealand and Australia and we butchered it. But anyway, let's hook into this cracker interview with Fergus Kalaki, Freedive Island. Here we go. Today's Dynamite Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. That's right, the fine folks over at Adreno have been supporting the Noob Spiro podcast since about episode 18. 
and they help pay the bills around here. Just want to encourage you to check out spearfishing.com.au and use the code NoobSpearer. You can save 20 bucks on every purchase over 200. But it's just a great online shopping experience. The reviews are phenomenal. If you want to check out a new spear gun, new pair of booties, new pair of gloves, someone's used them before. They've written a review. It's on their website. It's all there, right for, there for you. Head along to spearfishing.com.au and thank you for shopping with it. Today's major sponsor, Adreno. Good evening. Good good, good morning. Good generic time of the day. Uh, today, Noob Spiro community, I'm joined by Fergus Kalagi. I've just had to really get my head around the um, pronunciation. So, morning, uh, Fergus. Good evening over there. So thanks for joining me today. Brilliant to be with you. It's really, it's really great to finally connect. Job. Yeah, like how many emails do we have back and forth? And uh, some time has <laughs> elapsed, I think, since we first started chatting. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not great on emails. I have to admit, I'm, I'm the worst. The worst. <laughs> right. So you're a freediving instructor in, in Ireland. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm, I'm keen to sort of get get my head around how you how you first of all freedive in that freezing rainy. Uh, place you live it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it was, it, it's um, it's not that cold in the summer. I mean, it's it's uh, well, it's all, it, I know it's all relative, but I mean, um, in kind of July, August into September, the water temperature here would be sixteen, seventeen centigrade. So we'd we'd, we'd regard that as pretty warm, you know. <laughs> um, it's, it's, <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I started off scuba diving. Um, and was at that for a couple of years and started getting into just the, the, the very start of kind of technical dive and the nitrox hmm. um, and extended range stuff. Oh, wow. And really, it was, it was kind of, um, like I, I did the course um, and then it was, you know, the first dive was always going to be okay. It was the second dive, you had to do all these different algorithms to work out, you, even though your computer would tell you, you had to know the background behind it. So I said, I, I didn't start scuba diving to start doing more maths. I was never good at maths at school. So I was going to start doing them on the shoreline. Um, and I think it was coming up to my 30th birthday and I said I'd do something different. I ended up going to um, a freediving course in, in uh, the UK, uh, in Portsmouth. In, I think it's closed to the public now, but they used to have yeah. this um, submarine escape training tank that, that we were allowed, they were allowed to do courses in. It was Stephen Whelan from, from Deeper Blue had the courses ah. set up initially. Uh, and Emma Farrell and Samantha Kirby or Samfire Amps now is okay. Yep. She's as uh, her name uh, were my instructors, and I was I, I was just hooked, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I did another couple of courses in the UK, uh, and then eventually it was quite interesting. I I ended up kind of um, selling all my scuba diving equipment in order to pay for me to go out to Egypt <laughs> in 2010 to, to to do my instructor course, you know. Oh wow! So it was very it was very much a. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm done because I was doing more. I was still with the scuba diving club, but I was going out free diving when they were going and scuba diving kind of thing. Like, no, so it was time to it was time to to, to paddle my own boat, I suppose. So you were, you were nearly thirty, um, and you come from this sort of extensive scuba diving background um, that was getting more and more technical. Um, mm. Did you have any issues? Um, you know adjusting to free diving i mean it's quite quite late to take it on some might say like was there some sure yeah yeah what were your kind of your hurdles well I, I think i mean i i'll get to the biggest hurdle i found when i started doing i went down there i ate a family first which was what was mainly available and i ended up becoming an instructor with that knee academy mm. and Alberto Palazzari. 
But with the A, the first, I think I, I did my two-star. The, the tank was the first one, then I did a two and a three-star. And really, I knew at the three-star, um, I was pretty heavy overweight. I was like 17 and a half stone uh, heading for 18. I don't, I don't know what that is in, in pounds or kilos or whatever you want to get out to. But I was heavy and, and I was kind of heading for 20, you know. It was I definitely wasn't going the other way. And I kind of knew that that's actually what was going to be my biggest hurdle for freediving. Uh-huh. Um so I really started focusing a little bit on on getting a bit healthier, um, and I was I was I, I used to go over to the UK and do one or two competitions. Um, I suppose it's just positive kind of peer pressure. You you see all these other people that were kind of looking after themselves, and and um, I was doing my best to fly the stereotypical Irish flag of going over for a bit of a piss off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, I, which I, I think I did. But I, but I I used to go over and say, well, I won't disgrace myself too much, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I was picking up national Irish records because nobody else was there. So oh, wow, <laughs> was that's like, excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just had to turn up. You got one. You know? You're a man after my own heart. There's 18 stone Fergus <laughs> with a couple of beers and him breaking a national freediving record. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that, was, that, was, that was at the start. I said I better I better change things around. So I, I lost a bit of weight, and then then and then for the instructor course when I actually said I'd go for it, um, like it's it's a full on kind of. 10 days or whatever in, in, in Egypt and, and everybody was saying you really, really need to be on your game so I, I kind of worked as hard it's probably the best shape I was ever in my life kind of thing like you know oh, wow. um, but it was you really had to work hard at the physicality of it you know mm-hmm. um, now I, I did look up 18 stone it's 114 kg I am currently 19 stone but I'm not I'm not I'm not that overweight anymore but it was interesting to hear hear that you know, it was really seriously overweight for you. The, the physical requirements on those instructors, the, the freediving courses are pretty demanding. I've just had a look at the A to 1 myself because I'm thinking about doing it somewhere yeah. down the track. So tell us a little bit about that. What, what did you actually have to do to pass the APNIA? Um, is it APNIA International you did? Uh, APNIA Academy, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so so the, the thing with, with, with APNIA Academy is it's, it's, it's very much Umberto school. Umberto Palazzari, for anyone that doesn't know, was world champion back in the 90s mm. um, when, when world records were still set with bifins, you know. Um, everything now is kind of monofins and, and there's actually a new discipline just out with bifins again kind of thing. Yeah. But he was, he was world champion and then he kind of um, set up the school so he, he oversees all the instructor courses and when you're there, basically, everyone I'd ever spoken to, I spoke to a few guys beforehand, uh, again, through a deep blue, which I'm, which I'm not kind of on anymore, uh, but it used to be a great forum for this kind of stuff. You'd hear someone that, that, that had done it. Um, and, and basically, this is, yeah, you really need the physicality of it so that, so that the, um, the actual requirements were, I think it was like a four-minute static, 40-meter constant weight dive, um, and I think it might have been 75 or, or 100 meter dynamic. I can't even remember what it was. So, so they're not they're not they're not particularly onerous um, for some people. But mm. for me, coming from Ireland, where, where getting a 30 meter dive here was a real <laughs> challenge because it's bloody dark and cold here at 30 meters. For sure. Meters, <laughs> for sure. Um, but 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 not only that, but you had to be able to do them quite easily. So I mean, the four minute static wasn't like a big long lead into it. It was kind of like, okay, we're going to do the test now. Get ready and three, not not quite three, two, one, go. But you know, you had to be able to pull it out of the bag pretty pretty handy. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so that, so it was just it was really you know it was it was we used to start at eight o'clock in the morning I think and and we literally wouldn't be finished till nine o'clock that night. Um, wow. You'd have your breaks in between for lunch and dinner and all that. But after dinner in the evening, 
you'd be back in for theory or watching a video or doing something like that. Um, because they'd be trying to get get you to work on your presentation and skills and all this stuff as well. So it was it was pretty demanding. Yeah, and sounds like the funny the funny thing that, that I actually fell down on initially was the swim test. I'd been swimming, you know. 1500 meters in, in a certain me- length of time I thought this is what we'd be tested on because somebody told me about the swim test and in the end it turned out we had to do 75 meters like three lengths of the pool but we had to do them technically all perfect so it was front crawl on the surface technically perfect and then breaststroke on the surface technically perfect and breaststroke underwater technically perfect so I fell down on the breaststroke on the surface because I'd never breaststroke on the surface I'm if I'm above water I'm free front crawl and if I'm underwater I'm breaststroking so it's uh-huh. I'd never done the other one but to give you an idea all the guys all the the master instructors that were there because they, they and Roberto himself said okay we're going to do the test again in two days time or for the or three days for the next couple of days you come down here at seven o'clock in the morning and we'll train you instead of eight until you get through it kind of thing so oh, wow. you know they were really trying to get you there so it sounds oh, yeah. it, so, it sounds full on. How long did that training run for? Um, I'm pretty sure I'm, I think it was a week, but I was there for two. Oh wow! Um, a few days either side of it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there was a friend of mine, Simon, who who, who, who lives in Chile. Who uh, I, I shared a room with at the time, um, and even though we wouldn't speak to each other for a year or two, we'd, we'd, I suppose we're still good mates. Um, it's like we'd literally be, you know, ring home or something like that at ten o'clock at night and say good night to each other and. and like you'd just be straight asleep in the bed. That's it. It was never <laughs> even 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 the la- even the last night when you think we'd all go on the place, we were just too tired. We kind of had two or three drinks and we're ready asleep. You know? so, yeah. Oh right. <laughs> that I, sounds terrible for yeah. an Irishman. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I let the side down. <laughs> so, like, like, so you sort of you, you got you got really seriously started in this a little bit late, despite your background in the water. Um, and then you, you went straight for the throat, really, and you, you became an instructor. Um, how long have you been teaching there now for? Uh, be, what is it now? I'd be, that was 2010, so, so this would be nine years now, yeah. Yeah, right. And I remember listening yeah. to a radio interview, I think Jason Laramie um, connected you and I originally. Um, yeah. You, how, how, what's your sort of your your spearfishing season there, or your freediving season there, like in terms of open water stuff? It really, I mean, it really only starts May, May and June, and you you depending then on the weather, you'd certainly get into September, um, but just the swells start coming in September, October again. I mean, before May, you're just you're looking at, at a lot of swell and maybe colder waters as well. I mean, it's probably twelve at the minute. Um, but I mean, in the winter time proper, we're January here to be kind of six, seven degrees, um, mostly through the winter. So it gets pretty cold. You still go out, but a lot of the fish are gone as well, kind of what that, that we would see. So in the winter time here, a lot of the growth goes back, and the fish are gone out to deeper water from what I can from what I can see in the winter as well. Mm. Plus the visibility is kind of gone. If you have, a, you have a lot of swell, you have a lot of wind. So you're going out one meter of water. You're freezing cold. You can't see anything. You know, I I, I stopped. I stopped winter. I stopped winter diving after a couple of years, and okay, this is this is it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like you've no got, point. You, you've got a, a love in and around the water in general. So, you, I mean, before the show, you were talking about open ocean swimming and surfing as well. Uh, are these ha- uh, hobbies you carry on throughout the winter as well, or where does your ambition end? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose the, the surfing I would do pretty much all, all year round. Um, the swimming, there's they always do the Christmas Day swims here where you have to kind of run in just in, in, the, in the freezing cold on Christmas Day, which is just a bit of fun, a bit of crack. <laughs> um, but the, the, again, like that, I'd, I'd swim in the pool uh, a little bit through the winter. I kind of don't normally start back swimming again until 
even in the pool, I, I normally give myself a few months off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I only started back, I think, start of May, I suppose, or, or maybe middle of April. Okay. Um, and I just do a couple of swims here and there. Um, I don't do competitively, but there's, there's, there's a really good swimming scene close to me here, so there's quite a lot of events on. Um, 6K swims, there's a 10K swim that I, I wouldn't do every year, but I've done it twice now. So it's, Jesus, that's hectic. Um, yeah, that, that's the, there's no there's no hiding that one. The, the six k you can kind of if you're doing a bit you're kind of wing it on the day, you know. But the ten k there's no there's no hiding place from it at all, you know. But the uh, you really have to, the six k swim would be three hours or something, wouldn't it? I mean, um, God, I'd have to check it out. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd definitely be less than that. I think I might have been two and a half. Or I, I depends on the year as well as was on the weather conditions. Mm. The six k one that I'd often do is 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 C one the ten k one is in a lake near here and you you come back down a river, um so it's 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 a bit more manageable but it still cuts up pretty rough we had a rough couple of kilometers last year when I did it yeah uh, the first few first couple of kilometers was rough enough you know mm-hmm. um, I'm just thinking like uh, some some days when you're out spearfishing all day and especially when you're diving in current you know it's amazing how many kilometers do you, you do get through but to just to just head out for a six or a ten kilometer swim in the open ocean is pretty Pretty ballsy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so look, we, we've kayakers and lo- loads of other people when you're stopping, looking around, you maybe have a chat with someone as well. It's a serious you take it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'd probably just be out and enjoy it as well if you, if you could get past the cold. Um, I was, was going to say, like, so what does your spearfishing look like? I, I know you do a lot more free diving than spearfishing, but um, you get out for a bit of a forage every now and then? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things. I mean... Um, in terms of, of uh, the species, I, n- normally if I'm heading away traveling, in the, in, I, I kind of I kind of have like a, a poor man's camper van or a stealth camper. Mm. Um, and, and what I love about that is you can literally, in Ireland, there's, there's lots of places that say no camping, but, but you know there's no one really enforces it unless you're taking the mick and you're staying there for like days and end and you're leaving out rubbish. If you're there for a day or two, no one really passing the hedia. So you, you can drive down nearly any back road in Ireland and end up on the west coast and end up at the sea and and you could be in a beautiful bay and odds are you'll probably have it to yourself so the idea of having spear gun with you and just heading out and getting the fish for your dinner that evening is you know is perfect uh back in and and, and cook it in the open air or or in the back of the van kind of thing and and you you have a kind of wave tv to to send you to bed that night yeah i love it you're talking my language here yeah 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 it's really really nice you know so uh, the fish that you predominantly get, I mean, that you'd nearly be always guaranteed to get would be a pollock. Mm. It's just like a, a, a white, I, I call it a kind of fish finger fish. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, you'd need to put something with it, kind of thing, like, um, <laughs> but it's there and you'll get it in a decent size if you're, if you're patient enough, kind of thing, like, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's, there's other ones if you're really going active about it in terms of bass and mullet, and, and then there's obviously lobsters and crabs as well, and whatever else you want to go for. And scallops as well, apparently. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few spots. Um, I don't know if, it, if it's in this part or you want to talk about it or not, Isaac, but the, 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 there was a shellfish bylaw passed here back in the 70s, and it was it's, it's very controversial. Um, at the minute, you can get a license and, and go out dredging for scallops in certain areas, and, and as you know, the, the devastation dredging can do to, to yeah. the seafloor. Um, the bylaw came in and said, well, the way I read it anyway, it... it, it it was written in the 70s, and it said that it, it basically, if you're a skin diver that uses 
um, equipment that means you don't have to return to the surface, you can't pick up shellfish. So basically, if you're a scuba diver, I mean, that's what scuba divers are called back in the 70s, really, were skin divers. Mm. Um, and it, it definitely makes note of this thing that you, you, ha- you, you have to have equipment that doesn't mean you come back to the surface. Um, there was one guy here in Ireland a year or two ago was caught by fishery officers, if you like, with scallops, and they basically prosecuted him. Oh, uh, and he kind of cited... Yeah, they, he was kind of citing this, and they they basically kind of said, well, this is our interpretation of it, and we just go to court. He couldn't afford to go to court, um, so he had to come to some kind of settlement. But basically it was, you know, they, they were kind of very much bully boy tactics in terms of saying, um, well, it's not our money, so we can, we can go to court anytime you want and drag it out for as long as we want. Yeah, uh, disappointing. He, he, so, is, yeah, so, I mean, I would... Funny, I was at a place, um, and there was a guy with me, I didn't know that well, and and uh, the girl I was seeing at the time, it was, it was a friend of hers or a friend of his or a friend, and um, they'd all been talking about scallops. And I said, "Yeah, we'll, we'll get a couple each, one each or something like that." So he every time he couldn't he couldn't dive down. I mean, they were in this particular place, they were down maybe eight or nine, ten meters was was where the good sized ones were. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd be out of sight, but there was a lot of people on the shore, and you know how noise can travel and voices can travel. So every time I'd come up, he'd be saying, did you get a scallop? And I'd be like, fucking no, no, I didn't. I'd have them stuffed up the wetsuit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just to, to keep it dumb, you know. <laughs> so all the way back, he was like, oh, it's a pity there's none there until I got back to the van. I said, would you shut your mouth and we'll, <laughs> you know, they're here now, we'll put them on the van, but don't be playing an advertising. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Man, yeah. that sounds... Yeah, but they're definitely I have seen a little bit about the scallop dredging stuff because, um, so some of my friends in your neck of the woods um, shared some of the um, uh, bloody what do you call it? The they shared some information about it and where you could sign up and and uh, put your name against it basically. But the dredging is a hugely destructive practice. And then you, you've got probably mm. thirty thirty two freedivers in Ireland. So why aren't you guys allowed to <laughs> to, to grab you know a hundred odd scallops every year? It seems bizarre. Um, and yeah. that, that does seem like a place where f- fisheries and fishermen shouldn't really have much conflict. I mean, it's such a small, small take and, you know, you're doing it freediving like you're actually choosing what you want rather than, you know, a, a dredge, which is just keel hauling everything up off the bottom. So yeah. it's bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is bizarre and it's very, it, it's just the impression people have. There was, there was a couple of guys came over from Greece to me years ago. I wasn't long at it. And we were fish, we were spearfishing up. They were very experienced spearfishermen, um, and I wasn't at the time. But I brought them to this place, and, and a local fisherman that would bring guys out in the boats, angling in boats, started into a skinning and, and basically said, "You're raping the ocean," and all this kind of carry on. Um, uh, and I just like, I mean, it's very hard to even to start the conversation because you just know where they're coming from. And and a guy on the pier who I'd say was a, an old seasoned kind of spear, uh, an old seasoned fisherman. Um, I said, don't pass any heat at that age. Like, you know, he's just, he's always looking for an argument. Anyway, so what you guys are doing is probably the best type of fishing yeah. you can't do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no question about it. There is, there is these perceptions sometimes in public eyes, and, and sometimes Spiros aren't aware of it as well. They, some people actually think that we just drop down and there's just hundreds of sharks, and the fish are just dumb as dog shit, and they just <laughs> swim straight up to you, on, pretty much onto the end of your spear, and you just shoot everything and anything. Yeah, and, and <laughs> somehow we've got like machine guns, spear guns, and we're just, you know, just shooting fish in a barrel, so to speak. So it is, it, it can be an opportunity to. Um, to change some hearts and minds, I guess, but like, you, you, there's no arguing with idiots. Yeah. That's for sure. 
that's it. That's it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> so, yeah. um, when you do one of these uh, poor man's camper van trips, um, you head out. You maybe you shoot a pollock or two. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what that sort of looks like. So, yeah, what um, you know, how do you cook it and all the rest of it? Tell us a little bit about maybe one of your recent spearing adventures. Well, I suppose it's the, the the terrain is very much the same along the west coast. It's it's um, you either have sand or you're you're onto kind of rocks and, and kind of kelp and seaweed, um, and it's normally in amongst the kelp. Obviously, where it's where the, the pollock will hang out. You'll get a good size one on an incoming tide, quite quite shallow, like three maybe four meters. You can just get lucky, but normally you might be down ten twelve meters to get a decent size one. Um, and, and normally, I mean, the way I would cook it is is literally just on the pan because I, I, normally if I'm in the van, I, that's, I only have the two um, two gas rings, so it's it's kind of everything is kind of pan or pot cooking kind of thing. I don't have the oven in the in the van. Yeah. Um, we did have uh, a few years back. We had a meetup in in my local place in Mullockmore, um, and one of the lads there was a chef, and we got a couple of mullet, um, and he did a, a, a wrap. Um, basically the mullet into a barbecue he wrapped it in tinfoil with lime leaves and I don't know what other kind of seasoning but it was one of the nicest things I've ever had in my life <laughs> like, you know, it, was, it, was, it was proper good yep. yeah, there's something special about just catching something and cooking it on the on the shore and pretty cool if you can bed down and go to, go to sleep like you say with the ocean in the background there you, you, especially if you've got some solitude exactly yeah yeah. I mean that's, that's one thing we're very very lucky here in Ireland is, is that um as I said, with the surfing earlier on as well, I mean, you know, you hear these horror stories of, of busy places and, and busy lineups. I, I've never really had an issue anywhere in Ireland um, in terms of going out spearfishing or going out diving. You might meet somebody, but nine times out of ten, you won't. You know, normally you have it, have it to yourself kind of thing. Um, or you should be out with your buddy, obviously, kind of thing, you know, but mm. you don't be only yourselves. Yeah, right. And I remember chatting with Grant Laidlaw, who's from Scotland, not too far from you. And I think you're the same. You yeah. Got, you guys deal with seals um, in, plague, <laughs> in plague proportions at the time. Have you had a few a few run-ins with them? I've had, I mean, I, I quite like them. Um, they're, they're never, I've never found them to be aggressive here. Um, on the east coast of Dublin, they're quite used to being fed a lot. Um, so in the east coast of Ireland, in Dublin, um there's been a few things there where they've kind of they get very close and they might kind of nibble on the fins or they'd, uh, they some of the bulls can get a bit aggressive if they're not getting the fish they're expecting you know yeah um but on the west coast normally i find that they'll, they'll kind of stay you know maybe 10 meters away from you um I've, I've never really had an issue with them in terms of of the only thing sometimes is, is you see all the fish are gone and then all of a sudden okay there's a seal around and that's kind of why they're all of a sudden vanished <laughs> um, so they might have got some of the fish I, I did have a funny experience with one once that I didn't know about at the time I was there's a an island near here called Inish Murray and it's it's not easy to get to like you have to have pretty good conditions to get out to it um, now I wasn't spearfish at the time but, but I was out there with the girl and some other lads that we were out there for the crack for and um, there was a kind of a gully leading away from the island and I'd kind of followed that out again maybe 10 or 12 metres depth yeah. um, and I won the dives I saw this kind of small cave you know with an overhang um, and like like the Egypt I am I, I, I didn't have a torch with me but I still had to kind of stick my head down into the <laughs> hole, hole you know <laughs> um, so I'm kind of I'm about three quarters of the way in and of course I'm after coming from the bright into the dark and I can hear like I can only describe it as like a crack. I mean, I, I, t I thought literally 
a rock is after falling from the overhang behind me or something like that. Oh. Um, and I start to try and back out. And as I'm backing out, there's a seal and he's not face. He's like six inches from my face. <laughs> you know? um, and I'm pushing out and he's, he's panicking, trying to get out as well. Oh, um, yeah, no, there was, there was no contact, but like he, he swims off and then turns around and starts looking at me. And the two of us were kind of going, you know, we weren't breathing in the water, but if we were, it would have been really heavy breathing. <laughs> like, you know, it was proper fright, fright territory. Can kind I of give me the give me the willies for the rest of the dive? Kind of thing. I was constantly looking out for him, but he was a pretty small. He wasn't a big, big seal, thankfully. You know, he was small enough. He was probably just chilling out in the cave, and then all of a sudden, I started going in after him. You know, you guys had an I awkward didn't, didn't meeting, him, but it was it was a memorable memorable experience. A shared a, <laughs> yeah. a shared code brown moment with the with the seal. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it's funny, like I remember um, swimming into caves in, in like Tonga and um, the instructor, it was actually like most of the stuff we were doing there at the time I was doing my free, uh, spe- um, scuba diving instructors and a lot of these guys would block the cave mouth and you get these uh, white, white tip or black tip reef sharks and, um, oh, yeah. and as, as soon as you get wildlife and they feel like they're enclosed in a space, they go nuts, even the most placid things. Yeah. So, uh, um, so, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to sort of be aware of that, I think. You don't want to close off any escape route for them. But, I mean, you weren't, exactly. you know, it was, it was dark. And no. like you said, you, you, were just, you were just curious. So yeah. did what all of us do, probably. Um, the other thing you mentioned in an email uh, was um, at times you guys get to swim with the basking sharks, which are bloody huge they um they get out over 10 meters long so um mm. when was the last time you did that it was it was a couple of years ago i mean i i, I tried to get out this year again uh, last year i didn't see them at all but they, they were around I mean, it's it's like anything you hear they're in the bay uh, or you hear they're in they're in such and such a place uh and you're trying to work your time off or and and then the, the weather conditions have to conspire so there's a lot of things have to kind of fall into place mm. um but a couple of years back i, I Put up a video on YouTube, and a, a local guy that again brings brings anglers out brought me out on the boat, and um, there was six or seven in the bay. Uh, one was definitely bigger than his boat, which was was like ten meters, you know. <laughs> um, and I said, I have to try and get the the money shot. Is obviously the one with the the big mouth open coming towards you. Yeah. Um, but the visibility when I dropped over the side was 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 uh, because it was in the. Sligo Bay here where I live, and it's kind of an estuary, so it's always kind of silty in in the in, in around the bay itself. Yeah. But we were quite far out. I thought the, I thought the visibility would be better, but we were quite far out. And um, he would steam ahead and just drop me um, in front of of the the, the fish a bit, I mean, you know, maybe 100, 100 meters ahead of it. And I remember just looking around. I'm kind of like a couple of miles from shore or wherever, and then there's this black fin coming towards me, and the boat is steaming away. And I know in my heart, my heart, it's a basket shark, and there's no teeth involved, but you still get the. I'm, I'm, I'm actually here on my own. There's nobody else, and there's the. They can hear the boat going further and further away, getting as this black fin comes towards me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm kind of videoing underwater then and trying to see as it's coming towards me, um, and I can see the fin, and I said like, God, the, the, the mouth has to be beside me nearly, you know. And and it was really only the visibility was that bad. It was probably when it was within a meter. All of a sudden, it came into into the the, the, the viewfinder, and I started trying to back out of the way. Um, I don't know in the video I, I just managed to get out of the way because the shark isn't stopping 
Um, and, the, and the last bit of it is just this black thing that pushes past the, the camera, which is the tail, and that's what they can do damage with, getting if they yeah. were going to do something, if they panicked, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely want to try and get in again with, with them in, in clear clear water, you know, and get some some photographs, ideally. I've seen some of, the, some of these vids. You, you sent me some links. Uh, I mean, people can go to YouTube and just search Freedive Island, and they'll probably find you mm. there. Um, and can, yeah. can't have a look at the basking sharks. There's a lot of animals swimming at you, so I can perfectly understand <laughs> something that big swimming at you, even if it is a filter feeder, bloody. But the water's yeah. so dirty as well. Um, you know, accidents happen. This is that was the freaky thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's 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 a funny one. I, I had when I was in in Sharm El Sheikh one one other time in in Egypt. Like ignorance is bliss. Sometimes um, you were talking about the white tips. Mm. There was. A shout, a shout went up for shark, and I think it's a measure of the quality of people that you're around when somebody shouts shark and everyone starts swimming towards it, <laughs> uh, which is which is a great great sign of people. But I, I was I wouldn't say I was first on the scene, but I remember looking down and seeing this white tip, and and, and in my brief bit of knowledge, that I, I just thought that the brief uh, reef white tips are usually fairly placid and pretty cool here, but it's a big big enough shark. Uh, so I swam down it, and again, all, everything I'd ever kind of read was like, show no fear, you're a big animal to them as well, and you know you need to be kind of standing on your ground. So I'm kind of head, swimming head on for this shark, <clears throat> and um, almost like a game of chicken, which in the end I, I kind of broke off from, you know. <laughs> and I swam back up, to, <laughs> I swam back up to the surface, and there was a guy there from the Emirates, and I said, "Geez, I thought I thought that that, that shark would be more placid or more more afraid of me, kind of thing, like you know." And he goes. Because uh, I said it because it's a reef white tip. And he goes, no, he said, look at the tail. He said, that's an oceanic white tip. He said, I wouldn't have done what you just did. <laughs> you know, <so. laughs> One of those moments of, of uh, a bit of ignorance is, is, is can be a good and a bad thing. You yeah, know? yeah, for sure. But it's a good experience overall. It's, def it's definitely a learning curve of sharks. And like I think when you first get in around, like I've been taking some new guys out here off brisbane and you know as soon as they see any shark they're just yelling at the top of their lungs shark 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 you know yeah. and i'm thinking just okay guys like they're here every time just there's no need to um you know <laughs> but they're just new and excited so it's, it's all good i i get it so um yeah and they are you know you, you when you're out there it's good to be in numbers as divers and when you when you got your mate with you it's a lot less stressful so i think you know these these yeah um so yeah when you're with a bunch of people i think that's that's a good situation to be in as long as um you're looking out for each other so yeah What's up, Shrek and Turbo? It's Jeremy here from Spearing Magazine. Uh, you guys have been doing such a killer job. I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, all the back issues are now like fully sold out. So if you guys want to get Spearing Magazine, though, we've come up with an international subscription just for you guys. You can get like the digital edition or the print edition. We're going to send that. We're going to ship that to you guys. Just get over to SpearingMagazine.com. Okay, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Jeremy out. God bless America. God bless President Trump. I love you guys. Patreon. That's right. Today's show is brought to you by Patreon. Patrons, listeners, listener legends just like you who support the New Sparrow podcast. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. Basically, you can support the New Sparrow podcast one episode at a time. And if you love it, then you think $2 or $5 or $10 per episode is a good price to pay 
jump on and back us patreon.com forward slash Spiro. So how many classes do you teach a year at the moment? What's your sort of... At the minute, I probably only do four or five over the summer kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, it's not a huge pile. It's, it's just something I do. I probably do one or two a month for, for June, July, August into September. Mm. Um, and most of those are kind of just introductory one-day courses. And then there's one, I'll do one kind of three-day course then as well for kind of more intermediate. But it's very hard to do anything more than like a, a level two or, or what I would call a level one in Apnea Academy would be like a two-star IATA um, because we can get the depth here but you're, you have to go a bit offshore and then all of a sudden you're into choppy conditions and you need boat cover and it's, it's, it's a bit of awkward. Like I said, 30, I think the deepest I've dived in Ireland is like 31 metres and it's, it's not pleasant. I mean, there's nothing down there that you want to stay down there to look at or do anything about. You know, it's it's touch and go and get the hell out of there because it's cold, it's dark, it's green, it's it's everything the same. Yeah, yeah. don't be here right now. <laughs> like, well, you know. well, I mean, yeah. I, I can understand Ireland not being a widely understood um, freediver's paradise, but what does um, like some ideal uh, situations look like? What's an idyllic day out there? Uh, I'd imagine there's there's plenty to see when the water's clean. I yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we we would regularly where I get on the here, your average visibility is probably five to six meters, and 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 you can get days at you know 10 or 15 meters mm. um and like last year we had a kind of a week long um I, I did a course and there was some other people that came to do training out on on one of the iron islands on this year um and there's a resident bottlenose dolphin out there called dusty she's she hasn't been seen out in a while but she she used to be there for years <clears throat> but we had um loads of interactions with her she can be a little bit temperamental at times but we had loads of interaction with her um, and then we had seals on the other side of the island and, and just kind of constant fish life and scenery. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of just the, the underwater scene, if you like, and how yeah. the water and how the light and the water kind of plays together. That's, that's, I'm, I'm quite happy to sit nearly looking at that, you know. Um, and if I can get talking to a few fish along the way, all the better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, cool. So, so when, you, when you take people freediving out there for their, you know, their first time or, you know, they're doing something fairly introductory, what are some of the common struggles and curiosities they have along, along the way? I, I think the big thing is, is just having not been in the ocean. Um, I mean, I mean the, the one thing that a lot of people would struggle with is, is maybe equalization, but that's usually because they're kind of not relaxed, they're kind of tensed up. And they're, they're, they're on guard, I suppose. <clears throat> um, they're in a strange environment that they're maybe not altogether used to. Because you'll always have a mix of people. You might have someone that's been in the ocean for years and they just want to make sure they're doing things in a safe manner. And it's, it's it, you know, everything is good for them. Uh, and there's other people. I mean, I had one woman out there that I think she went to four, four meters depth or something like that. And it was only afterwards she told me that she was afraid of the water and she'd never been deeper than her knees in the sea before. Oh, wow. You know, so it's... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would have probably treated her a little bit easier even if I'd known that, but maybe not knowing that was even better because it was just all assumed and, and she just saw that, well, everyone else is confident and I just need to go along with this, you know? Yeah, yeah, that can be a good thing. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, but, but I'd say equalization, yeah, yeah. I'd say equalization is the thing that most people would struggle with, you know, um, definitely. I I think one of the major um, things that's held people back from, you know, diving temperate waters and and even you know colder stuff um, is is the is the warmth factor. But you know the wetsuit technology the way it is now is just phenomenal. So 
You know, you, you know, mm. you see guys diving the Arctic regularly now, and there's people going down to Antarctica and freediving there. It, it's you know the way wetsuits are now is just phenomenal. You know, like it's not like you know 25 years ago and things like that. Like the technology has advanced, yeah. and so it, it's opened up a whole new world. And I think you know the the diving where you are in your part of the world is underrated, just like it is in Scotland and New Zealand and some of these places. Like um, they seem like you know the water would be dirty and cold. But the fish life there, and some of the you know, you can see some truly rare experiences. I think if you um, if you if you're out there enough, anyway. So, definitely. I mean, I, I've been lucky. Um, this was scuba diving, but we came across a, a sunfish years ago, Mola Mola, mm. um, and, and it was huge. And and I mean, don't get me wrong. Going out to the Mediterranean or going to the Red Sea, I've seen loads of stuff. I was lucky to see whale sharks and manta rays and all the rest of it. And um, but. Once you leave the reef, that's what I found. As soon as you leave the reef and in the Red Sea, it's it's a desert. You know, yeah. it's like it's like the it's like the the, the top half of the, the world over there. Mm. We're very lucky in in the temperate waters that you can just keep on going around the next corner, the next corner, the next corner, and it's just abundant with life. Mm. You know, you know, from from nudibranchs to down to the really small stuff, back up to the bigger fish again, and 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 everything in between. You know, yeah. Um, and you can just get lucky. I mean, we've had. You know, there's, there's whales out there as well, minky whales and, and and loads of different stuff, I suppose, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, but you do need to be around it quite a lot to get to see them, you know. Yeah. I, I remember you saying, you, you know, you, you like watching the way the light and the water interplays. Um, it's definitely some of the, the cooler moments you can have underwater. Um, is photography something you've looked into as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a small little um, Fujifilm. Uh, camera that I usually and, and a casing that I bring with me, and it's it's very basic, but but usually I use it on the courses. I'd video people and show back to the out the sea to say you know because I, I can tell them to tuck in their heads all day long, uh, but they kind of don't believe me until I show them a video of themselves. Yeah, you know your head still is in the right position, so I, I use it for that. But I, I do like just going out and kind of sh shooting some shots sometimes and and just seeing what you can get. Yeah, um, it's just it's just it's just a nice thing to do, and and I suppose we have this thing. Um, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in, in Ireland anyway, in terms of, of people um, having an excuse to do something, you need you need to be doing something. So you can't you can't just say I'm just going out for a dive. But if you're bringing a camera, you have an excuse to be going out for a dive. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. But like the guy, if, if you if you're standing on a bridge looking in the river, you could be suicidal. But if you're smoking a cigarette, you're being philosophical. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's one of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, can, I can understand that. Hey, um. All right. Uh, let's. What, are, what is, can we think about? One of your your, t your toughest stories you've had out in the ocean. You've spent a fair bit of time in the water. What's um, what's the situation that maybe scared you a bit, and um, and what happened? What did you learn from it? Um, I think in terms of 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 actually being scared. Um, I'm trying to think back. Was I scared? It was probably one of the more more interesting things. Okay. I'll give you two. There's there's one one or two times where, where I've been um, like down down and can. Of trying to line up a shot or doing something and you kind of said to yourself like I'll stay down here for, for a minute 30 or one forty five, or whatever it is and, and all of a sudden then I've gone way past because you're trying to do something you've gone way past and it's just Jesus I, I could actually properly maybe not make it back up to the surface here and, and, and kind of scare myself a bit yeah um, I, I, I did have an interesting experience then on on the one the, I can't remember if it was the instructor course I don't think it was it was uh, it was afterwards on, on, on one of the training courses we were doing no limits dives on the sled. You know, you go down on the sled, you drag down, you, you lift, you inflate the airbag to, to come back up. 
I've, um, I've, I've heard of it, but I've, I've never even considered yeah, doing it. Yeah. It's really, really good fun. If you ever get a chance to do it, do it. It's like, okay. it's like a fairground ride for kids. <laughs> um, it's really, really good fun. How do you keep um, up with equalizing, just quickly? Yeah, it, that, that's the hard bit. It's 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 Because it goes really fast on the way down. You yeah. know? So I was kind of struggling. You know, anything past residual volume, kind of 35, 40 meters, I was kind of struggling with. Mm. And... Um, so I remember my instructor, Max, who's the Italian, was saying, you know, you need to relax, you need to get your head position, you're holding on too tight, your shoulders are tensed up, yada, yada, yada. Because nah. uh, I used to kind of jump off at, at, at 35 meters or something like that. Uh, and it was a really, really great tra- training tool because you could try to figure out, okay, I need to do this with my glottis or I need to move this inside of my mouth or whatever. But really what I was doing was extending my head out too far, so therefore I was kind of like self-sabotaging. Uh, so on the next one, I just said, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm just going to forget about the depth. I'm just going to go with it. Um, so there we are. And I, I, I used to have a depth alarm. I turned that off. Um, and all of a sudden, we're going down, down, down. We're getting all my equalizations. Everything's fine. And all of a sudden, bang, we hit the bottom plate like with, a, with an almighty crash that I wasn't <laughs> expecting because I was kind of half, half asleep. So, so because I wasn't holding on that tight, I go keep on going because the momentum is there. I hit my head on the bar. And it rips off my mask. Oh, um, Jesus! Yeah, there's, there's there's one there's one kind of bubble of air that I can see out of the top left corner of, of my left eye, and I can see the the other instructor Max going, "Oh shit!" <laughs> you know? um, no. But 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 we gather ourselves, and he kind of gives me the okay signal. It's a jam, okay, and and uh, we start back up. He inflates the bag. We start back up, kind of thing, like you know. But it's just one of those things that you'd say, "Well." If, if I didn't, if I, if I hadn't been as relaxed, maybe maybe I, w- I might have panicked or something like that. But um, it wasn't it wasn't for like a no limits dive. That's very very shallow. So I mean, another time we, we we didn't have enough air to inflate the bag, so we just fend back up. You're not you're not expending that much energy to get down any energy to get down there. So you have plenty in reserve. Mm. It'd be like a twenty meter constant weight, you know. Yep, so yep. It's, it's pretty handy. Ah, Jesus, that's crazy, man. Um, it, it is funny, like you're talking about. You know, you get you can get into this kind of this, this this Zen state where you are super relaxed. You've let all the tension go, and you just even when you're in free fall, you know, um, and you can go far deeper than you realize. And you look up at the surface, and you're like, holy! Or if you can't even see the surface, it, and it, yeah, it's yeah. bad when you're in 20 meters vis or something. And then you're thinking, jeepers, I've got to swim all that way back up, and. Um, so it, it is something you've got to be aware of when you do start heading a bit deeper and adding the, the, the sled, the weighted sled would be, would be a bit fun, I think. Uh, so Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you do a lot of the sled, sled diving at one stage of your freedom? Um, yeah, well, well, well it, was, it was really, I wouldn't even consider it proper sled diving. I mean, the sled divers are, you know, poor Herbert Nietzsche was the last man to really have a bad incident from it. You know, he went to 250 metres, you know, yeah. but it was a long time coming back. Yeah. From it. Um, and 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 you argue is he is he ever going to make it back to full health? I think he has now, thankfully, you know. But he, he's never going to dive to those kind of depths again. Yeah. Um, so to for, forty meters, it was really just to get you comfortable down at that kind of depth again, kind of thing. Like, um, so I was able to concentrate dive a little bit deeper than that. I think forty four was my best kind of thing. But that was that was because I was slower going down, kind of thing. Like you know. Um, but it's it's it, it really really is good fun because you 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 shoot back up on the on the on the sled. It's really really fast on the way back up as well. Kind of like you know, it's just it's a really nice 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 buzz if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So who are the um, the people or the the books you've read or the the videos you've seen that kind of inspire you or have inspired you with your freediving um, history so far? Uh, 
Um, I think, I mean, I mean, the, the Big Blue is obviously the uh, favourite film. I think uh, some bad acting, but some brilliant uh, cinematography <laughs> and that. So, I mean, that'd definitely be one. I think Umberto was, for me, I mean, um, I remember seeing Ocean Men, um, but, which is kind of the, the, the rivalry between him and Pepin. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of liked his attitude. It was very much, even when, when he'd be out, I'll give you two stories about Umberto. He was always kind of telling you, you know, forget about your dive watch, forget about your dive computer. You know, did you enjoy the dive? Was it a good dive just from your own experience? Um, and if it wasn't, why wasn't it kind of thing? Why aren't you enjoying your dive as opposed to I have to hit 25, I have to hit 30, I have to hit 35. He was always looking for you to get the, the, the good sensations. Um, on, on, on the instructor course then, he, he was, so Umberto was something that really inspired me, but to give you the flavor of the Italian in the man, if you like, um, when we were doing the instructor course, there was like 10 lines out and we were kind of four to a line or something like that. And, and you'd have these other instructors with you and Umberto wouldn't be going from line to line. So I remember I was going back up from a dive and I could see him coming over. So I knew he kind of critiquing my form. So I was doing all the best I could. And um, he starts talking with head position and what have you. And then he said to me, you see, he said, when in the last few meters of the dive, Fergus, when you're coming back up and you're just floating back up, you don't need to kick anymore at this stage. You're, you're positively blind. He said, cross over your fins together, kind of thing, like, you know. And I said, okay. So is that because you're more hydrodynamic or is it nice? It just looks better. <laughs> you know, so it, 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 it was always that thing, the Italian style kind yeah. of going into it, you know. Yeah. Think about your style. So, um, so you turned in, you, you turned into a Ferrari under his tutelage. <laughs> I don't know if it's a Ferrari, but <laughs> something. Yeah. But, uh, um, the, other, the other person who, who was probably an influence on me is, is a local man here, a Frenchman, Philippe that I'd be good friends with. And um, just in terms of hunting and spearfishing, he was always into it before I was, but his eye was far more tuned in. So so one time we were just diving on a line down to sand um, and he'd go down and I'd cover him and I'd, and then I'd go down and he'd cover me. And then there was one time he came back up with, with two crabs and I said, where were they? He goes, oh, you just have to look. You know what I mean? I mean, I was diving the exact same spot and I just hadn't seen them, you know? Yeah. And so it's, 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 I've learned a lot from him, definitely, you know? I think that's a that's a common one actually. Like, uh, like, I've, yeah, there's some phenomenal freedivers that um, you know are really good at that that part of of spearfishing. And um, but then there's other these other huge parts of it too. I mean, some people ask us about you know the podcast, like how do you keep doing fresh stuff with with just just spearfishing? It's like, well, there's so many elements to it, you know, and everyone's kind of got something a little different and. Um, so I was, which brings me to my next point. Um, before the show, we were talking about you know being in the water as as a as a healing experience for a lot of people, and um, mm. I mean, there's definitely something that 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 you know freshens you up. I mean, it does for me anyway. I love getting out spearfishing because mm. it seems to give me energy for the next week or two until I can get back mm. into it again. Um, how, how did you come to sort of this mindset about you know? Um, being in the water as, as part of, you know, just healthy, ongoing mental health? Um, I suppose, I mean, I, I've been lucky in that I've lived quite close to it all, nearly all my life. Um, it's, it's kind of a coastal town I grew up in, pretty much. You're, you're, you're like, 
the river runs through the town out out to the sea, and then the the, the anywhere you could go swimming is probably just a couple of kilometers away. Yeah. Um, and the same same with diving. So while while my family were never kind of into the sea or that, or didn't grow up in in that kind of tradition, it was it was still on my doorstep. Mm. Um, like I said, it was it was probably a bit later in life when I started the scuba diving, even you know, say mid twenties before I really started getting into the the sea as a resource. Um, there's been loads of studies done in terms of the ions that are actually in the ocean and, and how they affect us from a physiological point of view. Okay. Um, but I also think there's something in, in just being beside or near the ocean because it's, it's, you know, it's the lungs of the planet. Mm. Uh, so I, I do think there's, 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 there's quite a lot in just in terms of our connections to, to Mother Earth mm. um, and, and that we've, we tend to lose quite a lot of that from living in the city. So there's, there's quite a lot of um, proper academic studies in terms of what they'd call earthing, you know, walking yeah. in your bare feet upon the earth. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you, talk, you bring anyone to the beach and let them walk, even just walk barefoot on the sand and get a little bit of the salt water, mm. they're going to feel better than they did beforehand. Um, and, and then there's also the philosophical or the soulful part of it, of, of looking on this vast um, entity or, or this vast kind of uh, vista yeah. and, and feeling your own kind of insignificance, but also maybe an integral part of it, I think. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as the world becomes increasingly, you know, urbanized and stuff as well, this connection with the natural world is becoming more and more apparently beneficial for us. And uh, it's good to see some of the academics sort of looking into it and, and discovering exactly why, you know, why we feel have these profound connections. And I mean, the ocean is definitely, at, you know, your bag, my bag. Um, mm. When you, when you, even in your coastal town, no doubt there's a lot of people that just haven't even discovered, you know, even a, a portion of what, you know, the ocean has to offer. Does, does it make you want to shake people and say, just put your head under the water? <laughs> <laughs> De definitely. I mean, one, one thing that really annoys me here is um, we have Irish water safety and they do the best job they can in terms of pre preventing drownings and, and what have you. Um, but but we don't put the money into the schools in terms of teaching people to swim. <clears throat> so quite a lot of it is about avoiding water and staying safe and staying within here and staying with that. You know, um, fair enough, avoiding rip currents and all the rest of it. But from what I've seen from your your Bondi rescue uh, programs and what have you, <laughs> Australia has has the the, the lifesavers. The Groms are in very very early. Yep. They're getting used to the ocean. They know what's safe. They know what's not. Um, there's there's a very small element of that here now with, with the surf club in in Strand Hill near where I live would have you know family uh, time where, the, where they're all in in the water together and there's some small life saving clubs, but like kids are coming out of school maybe haven't done you know a few weeks in a swim pool they, they don't really learn how to swim properly at all which you know it should be, should be like addition I think mm. it should be like maths you should be kind of compulsory having to learn how to swim at the end of of your school career that you can at least you know keep yourself afloat and, and um, know what to do and what not to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's, there's a, I, mean, I mean, my mother grew up in, in that place in Strand Hill and, and was always kind of petrified. Look, a lot of people did drown. Um, but I would say, I would say a lot, an awful lot of that was, it's, it's a rough place and unfortunately somebody gets caught in a rip and, and they'd start fighting against it instead of going with it and, and, and that's the end of it, you know. I don't care how strong a swimmer you are, you're, you're not going to swim against it, you, you know. Yeah, there's, um, there's a big difference between fear and respect as well, you know. And I think one of the ways, you you know, to understand the water is to have enough exposure to it. I mean, I understand mm. you guys have a compressed sort of summer season there. 
and the, you know that's mm. when everyone's probably going to get in the water. But yeah, definitely New Zealand and Australia have a culture of of getting the kids out. And um, if you join any of the things like the life start, uh, life lifeguard, or you know even do their their nipper training and stuff like that, like. It's definitely great exposure for kids and they, they get to understand the power of the sea and the danger of it, but then they also get to understand the joy of it and the wonder as well, mm. um, which, yeah. is a, which is a hard balance to get right. You know, yeah, I think yeah. a lot of mums, um, I'm going to blame mums, but you know, maybe some dads <laughs> too, but they, they like to put the fear in you rather than you know, the harder path, which is to, to, to give you the sort of the healthy respect for it, but, you know, also the courage to go out and have a crack as well. I think spearfishing is even one step further than, you know, just getting in the water as well, which is why it's such a small sport. And how, how many people do you think are even spearfishing? Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd say, like, on a, in, in the height of the summer, if, if you took a snapshot on the best day in Ireland where you should be out spearfishing, with, 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 um, I'd say if you went down the whole country with Google Earth, you'd probably maybe get... I'd be guessing 40 or 50 at the most around the whole country. Yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. That's good for the spear fishermen and me. I'm just thinking that that's a good place <laughs> to go. Um, is, are there any like um, community groups or clubs or, you know, Facebook groups or things like that? Yeah, there's a couple of guys um, on the East Coast would, would kind of go with spearfishing together. I think, you know, they'd go to different spots. There's four or five of them. They, they'd go down to different spots and, and stay the weekend. Um, and and it's beginning to grow. I mean, there's 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 you can just see pockets of people. I mean, like anything, there's there's lots of guys out there who would just do it themselves and never tell anyone and and, and go about their own business. Um, but there's there's pockets of people that that want to start doing a bit more spearfishing or free diving kind of thing, or, or the two combined. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and definitely that's on, on growing, but it's growing very very slowly. Yeah. Oh, um, one, one thing I recommend to every Spiro in, in any part of the world is that they go and do a freediving course at some stage, preferably with a mm. with an instructor who's had some significant exposure to you know what spearfishing is like because it's not just freediving. I mean, there's you're doing multiple dives um, all day long and you've got all the complications of equipment and guys want yeah. to wear GoPros and dive watches and then use real guns and we, we find ways to complicate what is... Otherwise, it's pretty fairly simple <laughs> sport, but um, yeah. it's definitely something I recommend to everyone. Do, do you get a lot of? Um, well, <laughs> I, I'm saying a lot. But it's a re relative term, but the the spearos there. Do they come and do courses with you? Do they make? Yeah, up a I mean, I, I definitely would have had a, a few people over um, from different spots, and and usually they're guys that might have been spearfishing the last 10, 10 or fifteen years by themselves, um, and. The first thing I'm obviously saying is you shouldn't be out by yourself. You should be out with somebody else, and 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 not only that, but you should be using one float, one gun, and two people, as opposed to what, what I call or other people call the same ocean buddy, where you have somebody with you, but he just happens to be in the same ocean. He's a couple of hundred meters away from you, which is you know you might as well be on your own. Yeah. Um. But usually they're they're there to try and find what you're often asked for is how long can I stay down for that I can be safe. Uh, and therein lies the, the, the nub of the problem. I've, I've experienced it, as I said earlier on, with the camera and, and spearfish as well, where, you know, that, that fish that you want is just out of range and you're just waiting another 10 seconds and you, he's coming back in for another little pass and he might be close enough this time. No, he's gone back out again. You're waiting another 10 seconds. All of a sudden, you're up to two minutes and you're, you're into the danger mark, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, you know, you can't, you can't say to anyone, well, you know, one minute is it's fine because... You know, I can I can do one minute today because I haven't hydrated enough or I've 
been stressed out or I've an infection coming or something and another day I'll do a minute and a half or two minutes or something like that or yeah. um, so, so it constantly varies you can't ever say to somebody well if you keep to five metres and you know stay at 100 minutes you probably will be fine but mm. it's, it's the problem is you, you'll see something down there at some stage that's going to make you extend yeah. your dive and all the rest of it um, so a lot of them are trying to get the theory behind it and just trying to be a little bit safer yeah um, and they are coming to, oh and listen, learning to listen to your body. I mean, you know, double your surface interval. There's some protocols you can yeah. learn, and um, you know, just learning to relax is huge, and and not not push your limits. I mean, these are all things that you know the guys can learn. Um, yeah, okay. Um, the other, sorry, Isaac, the other thing I, which I, which I've done once or twice myself, and I'm kind of kind of berating myself, but also congratulating myself on it's okay. It's okay to come home without anything. Yeah. Like, there's been once or twice where I've been out spearfishing and like I just wasn't going to get the fish I wanted. Um, and I was cold, I was tired that day, I was getting, you know, I could just feel myself getting worse and worse and trying to stay down longer just because I could see this fish that I wanted, wanted, but he was having none of it, he was staying well out of range. <laughs> um, you know, that it's okay to say, okay, it just wasn't happening today and I have to go home empty-handed as much as I don't want to kind of thing. Like, you know, because yeah. to stay out here longer is, is, is going to be getting dodgy kind of thing. Like, you know, I'm getting tired. <laughs> so no, nah, you, it's you're exactly right. I mean, you know, and I, I think you know the guys that do end up and the girls that do end up sticking with spearfishing are the ones that are prepared to have these you know these fishless days, which I think they 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 are you have a lot of them when you first start um, spearfishing, but mm. even when you get experienced, that it's still okay to go home with no fish. Um, but yeah, it is a, it's an easy little mental trap to fall into. I have to go home with something and uh, sometimes we get carried away with the battle with a particularly wily fish and so I relate to what you're saying. Is your major issue spearfishing all about equalising? i got good news for you. We've been pumping Ted Hardy's Immersion Freediving Equalising classes for a while now for free on the No Spirit Podcast because we love it that much. It's effective. Now, his Roadmap to Frenzel class is absolutely excellent. It's a full-on video course that will help you to master the technique of Frenzel because you're probably doing Valsalva. Now, Ted's sweetened it up a little bit more. He's got a 15% discount code. Go to noobspero.com forward slash Ted, get full access to the Roadmap to Frenzel equalizing class, and if you don't learn how to Frenzel within 30 days, he'll give you a full money back refund. Now, everyone wants to get beyond that 15 to 40 foot mark, that five to 10 meter mark, and you don't want to be going upright to have to equalize. You need to learn the Frenzel equalizing technique, and the best way to do that is spend a little bit of time doing Ted Hardy's course. Come to noobspiro.com forward slash Ted, get a 15% discount. Enjoy. Spiro Log, an actual log book for spearfishing. Yes, it's a paper form and perhaps we could go digital in the future. But at the moment, Log is available right now on Amazon.com to capture your dives and help you replicate past results. Because if you're capturing that fish in those specific conditions and it doesn't happen every week, there's probably some unique variables that are allowing that phenomenon to take place. So record them in your dive log. You can go back, you can have a look at data over time and you can see what works, what makes your spots and locations tick. Get Log on Amazon.com today. Log by Noob Spiro. Oh my God. 
On a lighter note, what's one of the funniest things that's happened to you? Uh, funniest, funniest, funniest. Um, okay, okay, I'll give you a funny note. No, it's, it's true to see, but it wouldn't be exactly spearfishing. No, that's fine. If that's all right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I told you about the swimming. There's a beach down here. I just moved out to, to a college that's quite close to the sea. It's, it's pretty idyllic. Um, and I didn't really know the area as well as I should. I've 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 a I've a penchant for if there's no one around getting in for a swim in in the birthday suit, you know. <laughs> um, so, so so down I go and there's no one around and I start running out to go for my swim, but I must have gone two or three hundred meters out and I'm still only up to my knees. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have to go another bit because it's it's a pretty shallow bay until you get out. Oh, and I'm just kind of petrified that someone's going around the corner and say, oh, that's your man that's after moving up. <laughs> <laughs> Introduction to the neighborhood, you know. But uh, I know it now, so I know, I, know, I know the best time of the tide to get in for a quick skinny dip or not, you know. <laughs> so run a, run a quick half marathon butt naked in some cold water. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, uh, that's good. Hey, um... What's, what, what about your dive bag? Um, what's, what spear gun do you use? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, it's normally like a, like a 90, a 90 centimeter. Um, I had an immersion, just a single band. And I, know, I think a friend of mine gave me a loan, the one that I've been using now. I think it's a Boshat one. Okay. Um, and it's not, 90 seems to be the, 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 I mean, I'd find anything over that um, a, bit, a bit unwieldy kind of thing. Um, a, a bit and, of- and anything on under- a bit ambitious, a bit given the viz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, because you're you're trying to track it, and just you know, I find the longer ones to track it through the water obviously yeah. is, is, is slower. And then anything shorter than that, you just don't have the range unless you're going for for flatfish or something, you know. Yep, yep. Um, so it's, it's, it's that kind of range. And then I'd I'd always have me my float and like a bungee on the back of that. Um, so I, I'd normally have a. A clip on the belt that I'd when I'm swimming out. That's just all told behind me, and then I clip it on to be gone when I'm actually diving. So I'd I'd, I'd be free of everything. Okay. Um, if I do need to drop all, it's it's all there kind of thing. But I'm I'm free of everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. What about your wetsuit? Yeah. We we talked a little bit about what, the way wetsuit technology's yeah. gone. So so wetsuit is I'm, I'm lucky enough I get anything off the peg for for my size. Normally it's fine. Uh, some I had an Elios one custom made years ago. It was oh. great. Uh, now, now I just I have an immersion five mil. It's always been five. Um, oh wow! Probably, probably, that's not even thick. Yeah, <laughs> was that? Oh, that was that's not even a thick suit. I might. I thought you might have a seven mil seven. or something beyond. Yeah, a good, a good few people here would dive in seven, but I mean, I think um, I, I find five five okay for like now. When I go out, I'd be like an hour and a half out, and after that, I'm saying okay, I have enough. Right. Yep. Uh, so I'm not out for the day. You know, I, mean, I know lots, lots of people would literally spend you know, three, three hours plus in the water kind of thing. So I definitely need more for doing that. Um, what, what I hate wearing is, is gloves. Um, <laughs> you know, if I'm going spearfishing, I, I will kind of thing, or I'll have these ones that I can take the fingers, kind of op- open them on and off. And I don't really like wearing wetsuit socks. So normally I, I do start getting, getting cold after an hour just yep. through the, in the, in the hands and feet kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Cause sometimes when so, you, when you do start to get cold, like, and you, you get um, blood shift, which you know, I think it further exacerbates it. You get all that. Oh yeah. You know your extremities are the first thing to lose all the blood supply, and then it is a matter of just getting. This is a matter of time before you get super cold. So. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know. So I mean, I'm, I'm normally you know just with the the bungees and our you know the bands on the gun and everything else. I, I normally try and have the gloves on if I if I'm going spearfishing or anything. But um, 
I definitely I, I prefer to have my hands free if I can at all you know completely free but yeah I, I, uh, I was kind of the same I didn't even like sometimes I don't even like wearing a hood to be honest the, the, so you're already free diving so it's, it is about really being free and when you've got all this gear on you know um, it, mm. it, it does feel like you, you're kind of inhibiting yourself a bit um, do, do you ever wear like um, like the thin construction type gloves if you're getting scallops or lobsters um, no, I, I well, you know what I was wearing the last time. They were like, a, I think they were in some of the the supermarkets. It was just, it was like a, a glove for fishermen, perfect. Um, that you could kind of put, pull off the fingers and and the thumb and and and, and then put it back on. So I questioned the, the thermal um, benefit of it, kind of thing. But psychologically, I, I kind of felt a bit warmer with them on. And, yeah. and obviously, if I was handling something, it was it was just a bit easier, kind of thing, like you know. Yep, yep. Um, at the last bit of dexterity, but. Um, and the other thing I, I I I had this breakthrough. I don't know. It just seems so obvious on the on the smooth skin suits. You know the way you 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 have to lube up to get into them, kind of thing. Yep. Um, in in Ireland in particular, you know, and I'm I'm notorious for gear. Like I I leave gear lying in the van in the in the in the tub when I should have it out and rinsed and dry and it. Kind of stuff yeah. like you know. You're not allowed. Wet, wetsuits get yeah. Wetsuits get a hard time at me, but. Um, I started, like, because I had the cooker in the van and all that, but I'd, even if I didn't, I'd, I'd bring a flask of hot water and I'd mix up my lube with warm water and flush that through the suit. Yeah, so you get nice. into a warm water suit, and that's just, you know, that's, that's very pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in a good frame of mind rather than get into a freezing cold suit and you're frozen before you even get into sea. Oh, kind of thing, like, you know? No, I, can, I completely agree. There's cold mornings, particularly when you've got a yeah. wet, 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 wet suit, like after multiple days diving. Putting that on is just so unmotivating. But once yeah, it's done, it's yeah. done. It's just getting past exactly. that, that first yeah. moment. You're all good. Um, yeah. any, any other notable equipment, like particularly with your diving environment there in Ireland? Um, I suppose I, talking to, to the guys, I mean, a lot, nearly all the spearfishing is done in in Ireland in, in 15 metres. You don't really need more than that. And, and quite a lot of it, if you're looking for mullet or bass, it's quite a lot of it's actually on the surface. Um Right. So a lot of the guys, I'd, I'd find the Spiros that I'd be talking, they're really overweighted, I'd find. I mean, because they're, they're trying to be neutral at maybe five. Um, whereas I'd be, I'd be always kind of positive from, from 10 meters. Mm. Um, I'd be floating up. So I'd, I'd always be kind of holding on to a bit of kelp or, or something to keep me down if I'm, if I'm in the shallows. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't have a huge pile of, pile of weight on me. And, and the other thing I'd always kind of carry on the side of the knife, I, I know spear fishermen, would always have it anywhere for, for obvious reasons is, is the knife but even just for freedivers I'd always have the knife on the belt kind of thing even if I don't have the spear gun with me you know you just never know what's going to be out you know in terms of entanglement or anything it's never happened to me but well, just to know that the knife is there I think according to Facebook now like every second dive you have an injured seal or dolphin swim up to you and like turn over on its belly for you to cut away um, cut <laughs> And I think that happens yeah, every second right. dive for most divers now, <laughs> according to Facebook. So you definitely yeah, need a knife yeah. for that. Have that. Uh, <laughs> nah, but in all seriousness, like, yeah, there's plenty of opportunities to use your knife. Like, there's always fishing line somewhere or something. Um, you know, you've, yeah. When you and the and the times when you don't have it are the times when you need it. So um, it's, it's exactly. just a good habit yeah. to get into is always having a, at least one dive knife that's easily accessible on your body. So that makes sense, man. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um. Last sort of big part of the show is Spiro Q and A, um, sort of a faster-paced yeah. round of, of questions. Um, 
if you could go anywhere in the world spearfishing uh, or, or even freediving, where would you like to go? Um, I think I think Bahamas, Dean's Blue Hole, the Bahamas for, for both. I think there's good 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 diving there, obviously, in, in Dean's Blue Hole, and then there's good spearfishing around the island. So would you like to go and do the competition there and just sort of rub shoulders with freedivers and... And, and, and other weirdos. Yeah, definitely. And other definitely, weirdos. Yeah, yeah. Other yeah. weirdos, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I want to go and do a deep work week with uh, Adam Stern, um, the Indonesian oh, yeah. thing that they do as well, um, just just yeah. for freediving and fun for the week. I think that would be good because um, I, I, I wouldn't mind just concentrating in on freediving for a week as well. I think that would be, be good mm. fun. So, um, yeah. yeah, Dean's Blue Hole looks amazing. They have the Deja Blue uh, comp there as well, don't they? That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to to, to make it over, mm. just to see it. You know. Okay. Um, during your sort of ten years freediving spearfishing, what's the single biggest lesson you've learned? Um, ne- never, never take it for granted. Um, just it put me in mind when you mentioned Dean's Blue Hole. Um, a good friend of mine was was used to do the chief safety out there, Stephen Keane, and he passed away. Couple of years ago, um, he was doing safety for Alicia Zakini, doing the, the the blue hole in Dahab, um, and she came out of the blue hole at, at the arch rather, um, a bit disorientated or couldn't find the dive line. He dived down further and got her back to the line, but he never made it back. Oh. Um, and that was he was he was he was just one of these guys that was um, a big bright smile. He lived in the Hab in Egypt, um, and and it just used to work out when he'd be back in Ireland. He'd ring me. I live on the other side of the country. He used to live in Dublin, and mm-hmm. it just so happened I'd I'd be in Dublin the day he'd ring. Like he'd never tell me beforehand I'm going to be home, you know, next <laughs> month. And uh, I just get a text, and I'd happen to be there. Um, and I remember I was teaching a course uh, in Galway in a beautiful place when I heard the news kind of thing. Like, uh, and and I I didn't really deck it at the time, and I went on teaching the course. Only, it was only that evening. Um, that it was kind of confirmed, you know, wow. and uh, it was a big loss. So I think never, never take it for granted would be would be the biggest lesson, you know. Yeah, cool. Um, what's can can you describe what the the freediving experience means to you in one sentence? I'm I'm reaching for your poetic the poet in you now. Um, I, in one sentence, I would I would say I'm going to bring in the spearfishing and the freediving. So I'd I'd say connected sustainability I, I think i think we're it's a sustainable way of living but you're, you're connected to so much by doing it i think um that's not that's not one sentence sorry no that's <laughs> fine it's a concept and, uh, and that's why it's so hard to boil it down into a neat little sentence mm. but it uh it, it does force people to you know to to really think about you know the major motivation for it so um all right cool um just as a last one, what do you think's the single best resource for um, guys starting their freediving or spearfishing? Like, um, where would where do you, if someone asks you where should I go to learn about freediving or spearfishing besides doing a course? Maybe um, I mean, obviously, a course is a great a, a, a great first resource. But yeah. where would you point people? I, I think I'd, I'd go back to to old school and, and and if I mean the obvious one that jumps out is, is look online and all that. But but I'd be saying. Go down to the go down to the shore or ask around um, and see if you can find someone that's already doing it. Most of the people that I've ever met in this scene are really approachable, very open to giving advice, very open to saying, "Look, we're going out next week again. Come along, tag along, see what it's all about." I'd I'd be be definitely you know, if you can't get on a course, just try and tag along with somebody who'll tell you, you know, don't buy that 
wetsuit because it's you know it's, it's a scuba diving suit, so you're not going to be able to move in it. Yeah. Um, you know that kind of stuff that that unfortunately people have gone down the road and and have maybe already purchased stuff and and find out that it's it's, <laughs> it's not going to work. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So. Uh, I would say I would say try and find a, a an old sea dog somewhere and and see if he'll take you along. You know, I think your advice is uh, is good, and uh, I see guys trying to make connections on Facebook and stuff like that. And it's definitely one way you can do it. Like um, they mm. find a a local area Facebook sort of group, and they try and approach people online. It's very hard to. Um, convince someone to give up their time to take you out but if you meet someone in person maybe at one of the local spearfishing spots um you can just get a mm. good feel for them uh, and maybe just get their number and just you know give them yours and next time they're headed out you, you know you can go with them so but it, 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 yeah 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 it's there's something about meeting people face to face that i think is definitely underrated so good advice definitely yeah 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 without a doubt <laughs> mm. well fergus it was Absolutely magic chatting with you this morning. I've got to get my son off to school very shortly. Um, but uh, I was going to ask you just if you had any par- parting parting advice for 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 guys that are or and girls taking on spearfishing or freediving. Before the show, we were talking a bit about clearing the ego. I think we've um, we've sort of covered that a little bit today. But is there anything else? I, I think because I had it written down. I think um, just every so often, and obviously you have to prepare for this. Don't don't bring the gun. Just, just go out and see, see, just to see what you see, and I, I think there's a lot of value in just, just being in the ocean for, for, for as we said earlier on, for, just for pleasure, for nothing else. I'm not, not here to take anything. I'm not here to, to, to hit this depth or to stay down this length of time, or to catch the fish. I just, just going to be, you know, I'm just going to be in the ocean. Yeah, love it, love it. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Hey, um, awesome, Fergus. Um. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I've been wanting to get you on the line for ages and uh, finally get an Irish accent on the show, so thanks for joining me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I really appreciate it. Oh, good, man. Well, if you are in that part of the world, up there in Ireland, Scotland, uh, possibly even the U- you know anywhere in the UK, Wales, um, Fergus might be a dude you want to head out with and do a course with because he he's a, he's a good good unit and uh, absolutely loves the water that came through loud and clear in today's interview and um, and just a good dude. So check it out, freediveisland.com, uh, and yeah, go and go and get into it. If you want to check him out on YouTube as well, it's. Uh, uh, youtube.com forward slash user forward slash freedive island and you can see some of those um, basking sharks we talked about in today's interview so yeah hey look in two weeks we are off to chat with Daniel Mann for a round two and uh, we've got a couple of little projects in the works of Dan um, so it's fantastic he's got one of the biggest uh, spearfishing YouTube channels getting around and um, some awesome information on there so check that out but um the next episode with Daniel is focused all about GoPros. So if you don't have a GoPro or you're not intending to buy one, don't know how interesting it's going to be, I'll be honest with you, because it's an hour and a half of nuts and bolts, settings, and then editing and thinking like a filmmaker. Um, it's a really cool, cool chat with him. So looking forward to bringing that to you in two weeks. I'll see you then. Um, as usual, check out Patreon. Um, we've got $419 raised so far. And that will be going on our Melbourne trip later this year. And hopefully we've got a couple more in the works as well. Every dollar raised on Patreon for the Noob Spiro podcast goes towards um, Turbo and I going out 
doing different trips all over the place, catching up with listeners, doing some live interviews and getting wet and actually going spearfishing. So if you want to back that, you love the show, we'd super appreciate it. Head to patreon.com forward slash noobspirit. Otherwise, I'm out. Shrek out. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Now, I don't know about you, but I love new gear. And spearfishing.com.au have got a huge range. Mad flat shipping rate, especially in Australia. And if you use the code NoobSpero, you not only support us, but you get $20 off every purchase over $200. That's right, pump in the code NoobSpero at checkout, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O, at spearfishing.com.au, and you will save 20 bucks on every purchase over $200. No-brainer. Thanks, Adreno.